welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Murder, murder. Laura. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I'm great. Good. We've got a really great author on today. I'm so excited about this. This is a fun one. And I have to say, with the amount of nonfiction that we read, which is wonderful, it was so fun to read a work of fiction and a really good one, too, I've got to say. Yes, I couldn't put this one down, Sarah. I was actually really sad when it ended. And it's eerily related to what we're doing here. It's a very, very interesting novel about privilege, about getting into college. And in any case, here we go. Here we go. (laughs) The Ivies are a cabal of mean girls who manipulate, lie, and cheat to edge out their competitors to get into the choicest Reed Ivy League schools. When one of the Ivies ends up dead, it's anyone's guess who did it. This is the setup for Alexa Dunn's wonderful novel entitled The Ivies, which takes place at a sniffy but made-up private school in New England. The protagonist, Olivia, is an unlikely Ivy because she's a scholarship student. Olivia is trying to figure out who killed her fellow Ivy and roommate and wondering if she's going to be the next victim. Welcome, Alexa. Hi, thank you for having me. What a pleasure. This was so much fun to read. And both Laura and I were mourning the end of this particular book. That's always a sign of a good book. But before we get into the questions, Alexa, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? What brought you to the point of writing this book? Absolutely. So most specifically, I spent many years in freelance college essay counseling. I specialized in admissions essays since I'm a writer. Though when you do that, you end up doing like a sniff of the consulting stuff where like, oh, have you thought about this school? And hmm, you can really tighten this short answer here. But I did that for, and I still, I still do it just a lot less now that I I publish books. Pro bono in Los Angeles with underserved teen girls. That's the fun side when you get to help kids who otherwise wouldn't have the privilege to reach places like the Ivy League and you help them get into college. Plus they're already writers, They're, they're brilliant little diamonds. And then I did a couple years of private, which is a little bit different as well as haunting the College Confidential forums and applying to college subreddit. And I saw things. I saw so many things. You know, you know the other end once they get into the Ivy League, some of the wacky things people do. But I saw how ferocious the competition is, how kids who are ambitious the same way I was ambitious in high school are being chewed up (laughs) 
into like little stress husks and some of them doing pretty uh, salacious things in order to get what they want. Achievement at any cost. I don't know, it made me sad <laughs> how, how teens today really attach their sense of self-worth to what college they can get into. And the big ones are the Ivies. And I also just really hate elitism. And I wanted to explore that in a book because I was a scholarship student at a, well, they rank now. They did not rank when I went to college, Boston University. So now I think they're in the 40s and that means something to the kids. But when I went there, we were like, we don't rank. But you know, once you're among people with immense privilege in an academia setting, it's just, it's inspiring. There's an entire genre called a dark academia or subgenre. <laughs> That's so interesting that you mentioned that people's self-worth is attached to where they went to college. I actually think that continues on as we get older. And I do it too. I participate in Facebook groups for my college. And then I think as parents, often we attach our self-worth to where our children go to college. And we definitely saw that in the college scandal. Exactly. It makes you wonder where the race is too. Exactly. Absolutely. And, And just that it's changed so much. And there's a story there. I actually started this several months before the college admission scandal broke because like, I knew this was possible. Like I was like, guys, the things I've seen. When that happened, I wasn't surprised at all because this is where we have gotten to. Not that there wasn't always some degree of cheating, but just the level of what people will do to get to where they want to be. I was like, that's a book. Tell our listeners, wet their appetites a little bit here for your novel. What's the setup here? So it starts on December 15th. So we're recording on the 14th. So that would be tomorrow. Though, mind you, it doesn't take place in 2021. I made the wrong decision to set it in 2020, which is a whole other conversation. Just don't pay attention to that part when you read it. Um, no, no COVID. You're no. in a COVID-free world because it's fiction, right? <laughs> exactly. It actually, I had to mention it because key SAT dates were canceled. So it is technically in there. But in my universe, everyone went back to school in the fall. So just imagine a better universe. Okay. So it's early decision day. And this group of the Ivies who you mentioned... Their decisions are rolling in. A couple of them have already gotten their decisions because not everyone gets their decision on December 15th, but it's the big day. And they have a rule in their friend group. Each girl applies to one Ivy. They do not compete with each other. And the Queen Bee Avery, her school is Harvard. And everyone knows that. She's a triple legacy. Like, and she's the Queen Bee. Like she's, she's the Regina George of their friend group. But on the day she gets rejected And someone who wasn't supposed to apply at all gets in, and then she turns up dead. Problem is, Olivia also broke the rules, secretly applied to Harvard, got in early decision, and now the target is squarely on her back. That's juicy. Yeah. It is juicy. It draws you in from the very first page. Absolutely. And what I loved about it, too, was this, you paint such an accurate portrait, I think, of like prep school, New England, very Massachusetts. And it's interesting to me that Olivia, as a scholarship student, I was as well, is part of this Ivies because they're kind of it's it, it's why is she part of this group? What's her motivation <sighs> for being part of this group? Well, her motivation is that she desperately wants to be liked and will do almost anything to her own detriment to fit in and belong a flaw many of us have, and it definitely drives some of her more poor choices in the book. But that actually becomes the question that she has to answer. 
why is she a part of this friend group? One of these things does not belong. And she discovers after her friend is murdered and she suspects her other friends, as well as everyone else at the school that they backstabbed systematically over two and a half years, that her friends aren't necessarily who she thought they were. And maybe she's in this friend group for a reason she might not like. Can you describe, without giving away too much, what do the Ivies do to kind of game the system? It's subtle. (laughs) It's mostly subtle. Uh, So, for example, if someone sneaks out at 4 a.m. to hook up with their partner, they turn them in to the RAs. And if you get enough demerits, you don't get to participate in certain extracurricular activities and you lose out on certain things and that's going to ding their resume. There is one nasty episode where maybe allegedly someone snuck a diuretic into someone's coffee the morning of the SAT. Maybe, allegedly. Spiking people's protein shakes so that they don't make varsity, so that the Ivies get better positions on their sports teams. It's little things like that, where it's not so much about directly cheating. It's about just just little things they do to their competition to give them a leg up. And can you maybe explain to people who don't understand that schools only are going to pick so many students from a given high school? So that is a yes. part of part of this that maybe someone may not understand if they're not as familiar with the admissions process, perhaps. And that's one of my favorite parts of the admissions process in the sense of there's all these little things people don't realize. And that's part of the foundation of the book. Essentially... Harvard, particularly, any of the Ivy Leagues, particularly, are only going to take so many students from any given high school. In some cases, it can be literally one if they take any students at all. In the case of an elite high school, especially an elite boarding school, that number might nudge up to two or three, not usually going to go higher than that. But even within that, certain schools in the U.S. send a higher percentage of their seniors to Ivy Leagues than others. And I, I based the boarding school in this off of a real elite boarding school that sends almost 30% of their senior class to Ivies. And that's, but even within that, the entire senior class, every single one of your classmates is your direct competition for getting that spot. And there's also little things that go into this that I put in the book that are real the power of the guidance counselor. I confirmed it later with research, but first time it was it was me extrapolating. No, listen, I think you had your finger right on the zeitgeist considering that you were doing this before the college scandal. I think it's uh, absolutely amazing. Can you tell us the role that SATs plays both in the college scandal and your book? Yeah, that was probably... People ask about the college admission scandal, whether, because the obvious question is, did you write this afterwards? And I started it in December of 2018, and that happened in March of 2019. And I had a rough outline for the book, and I was halfway through when that broke. So I was 30 to 40,000 words into the manuscript. And I was actually at the point where I had to make the decision, do I include this thing I put on my outline, which is cheating on the SATs? Because It was just a checklist thing of this happens all the time. And I made my wish list of things I'll put in this book that are real, that people won't believe that will make the fiction so much juicier. And I had almost talked myself out of it because I thought this is a bit extreme. I probably don't need cheating on the unstandardized tests in this book. And then the college admission scandal broke and I went, well, that's going in for sure now. And and then I wove it in officially because I was right at the point in the book where there had to be a big secret. And I was like, boom, 
We talked about this prior in our conversation that maybe it's because Sarah and I grew up in Cambridge and I mentioned to you that I worked with a Harvard student who took SATs for people regularly on weekends. It wasn't me. wasn't Sarah. <laughs> this is a fairly common occurrence, and I think it does shock a lot of people. But if you're kind of around a lot of college students or maybe the Ivy League, maybe because of where we grew up, it's not shocking. I also wanted to ask you about, um, just so for people who don't understand the role of being a legacy, because you, you mentioned that a lot. And uh, you know, not everyone is familiar what that means. And that actually is can be a little controversial and really can up your chances of getting into a school. Significantly, though, they say now that it's not a sure thing anymore. But we always wonder, a, leg a legacy basically means that one of your parents, grandparents, or an entire like string of your relatives attended the same school. So when I say Avery is a triple legacy, that means her mother and one of her grandparents attended Harvard. And like, that's important. <laughs> like it's well, and the reason- I got one right here, triple legacy right here. I, I'm I actually, it. I actually think it goes back further than four generations, truthfully. So I'm well, gonna research it, but It yeah. makes sense. One of the reasons is, you know, if I have a kid, I want them to go to Boston University. I won't make them go, but I would love that. As parents, it's that sense of pride and like wanting them to have the sure. same experience you had. But also for a school, that's how you keep your alumni really happy and just bubbling over with pride. And then they donate. <laughs> that's why. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've read different statistics that it can help you. Who knows? This can be manipulated, but up to 20 to 30% in some of the Ivy Leagues. I'd say at the Ivies, that makes complete sense. I, I feel like at some other schools, it might matter a little less, but at the Ivies, yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah I, I definitely do think it, it's an edge up. You know, not everybody is, we're so intimately familiar, and maybe also because I'm a parent and, you know, a parent, you get very familiar with. I, I just wanted to also say, I love in the Ivies too, I feel like the characters are kind of mixed traits, which I really love. Yes. They're complicated characters. There's no sort of like good guy, bad guy. There is at There's, the end. Like that's, yeah, that's we, you know. Yes. Someone yes. has to be a murderer, you know, wait, wait, the way it goes. Yes, I'm taking exception with that, but I love that your characters are complex. They're like all of us. They've got great qualities, character defects, and you really explore that in a lot of your characters, and I love that. It's, it's kind of like an Agatha Christie vibe, where you're kind of like, who did it? I like that, because they are complex people, and I, I kind of like you didn't put people in stereotypes completely. Like, although, although you explore stereotypes. You explore them, but I think, yeah. you know. I, I like that they weren't I try to just subvert that them. Yeah. Right, that you're not just a rich kid, just a scholarship student. That, And I think Olivia is, in a lot of ways, a very complex character, which I really liked. She makes choices. She makes choices. <laughs> she and makes choices. I also wanted to comment that I think that the theme of friendship, that really hit me because I think you really explored. And it, one of the things about I really enjoyed about the book is it really gave me a lot of flashbacks personally. And I think that's the overriding themes and all of what we do give up to fit in yeah. because it's so palatable in the book, mm -hmm. you know, the choices you make to fit in. And I think we've all done that. Absolutely. Um, We've all, specifically, I'm fascinated, and that's why I write them frequently, by toxic girl groups and just friendships with women, which are usually not toxic, but every once in a while you fall into it. But it's a group dynamic, and I love just to the, speaking to the, the people, 
I love sharp people. And so I like my characters to have like interesting edges, but dimensions as well, because that's how humans are. And in, even like the person in your life who you really dislike, because they really screwed you over, unless you are a sociopath, like some people who murder people in books, you still recognize that they're human and that there are two sides to every story and that everyone is bringing something to the table and that you brought something to the table too, to that dynamic. And, you know, I've been an outsider in groups like that. I've been an alpha in groups like that. And then you have to examine your own contribution to that group dynamic, which is, I wanted to explore with Avery, both the person you have to become to be that person in a group and also what you might hide of yourself from others to protect yourself. But also overall um, in the book, just the idea that, some friendships aren't forever and that doesn't mean that you wasted your time or that they were they they change and shape you as a person and and you that's something that you accept and and that's just a very high school thing which is why it like slotted nicely into that but like sometimes you just these are the friends you choose and if you make the right or wrong choice you can move on from that (laughs) It's, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely get a sense from the protagonist, Olivia, that she is the other in many ways. She is a scholarship kid. She's looking around at enormous amounts of privilege. I love that you just also have a very real sense of like, gee, we're going to go out to Sephora and I can afford this lip gloss because I'm kind of being pressured by these other girls who can buy thousand dollar boots and just throw them away. You know, I've but it, it's yeah, me too. I yeah. relate. One yeah. I was thinking yeah. of the Sephora in the Prudential Center specifically. <laughs> Went there many times in college. And how fun was it for you figuring out these devious little plans that the Ivies would perpetrate on their classmates to to gain the edge? <laughs> how much was, of that is re- experience and how much of that is this would work in the book? It was fun, but stressful. And s- enough of it is real to be alarming. Although some of it is like, I've seen this happen, but not necessarily in college admissions, which is good news for everyone. But wouldn't it be great to weaponize this thing here? So uh, there's catfishing that comes up in the book. And that's just, I come from Harry Potter fandom. We invented the catfish, not literally, obviously, but like back in my day, people who pretend to be things that they're not in order to screw with other people. The diuretic in the coffee I hope no one has done that, but that was based on a friend who had a personal health episode during the SATs. So unfortunately, that was based on a real horror story, not a sabotage one. But I was like, (gasps) you know, sharp intake of breath. There is one that is based on a real story I heard from a real elite school. There's two that were based on, because I talked to people who, of course, went to Ivy League schools. And I heard some really great stories about what happened at their high schools. One was the bomb threat. Calling in a bomb threat the day of finals happened at someone's high school Mm -hmm. because someone wanted to postpone the exam that they were not prepared for. Okay. That happened at Harvard too. Did you know that? This is apparently like a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then there is a, an allusion to how someone gets a choice position in an extracurricular at the school, and that is based on a real story. I subvert it in the book and change it, but it's based on a real story of the lengths someone would go to in terms of performing favors for someone in order to get what they want for their resume. Wow. wow. Yeah, I was a little, I, I, I clutched my pearls a little bit when I heard that story. I was like, oh, oh dear, the kids, the kids. 
I think it's interesting in the book, and it's so obvious to Olivia, the lore of, of wealth. Many of us who've gone to private schools, you know, it's so, uh, that lore of wealth and is so strong. And she sees the way to get there through achievement. And that is very... I think natural, but kind of twisted as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, natural, but it almost can be intoxicating. That's sort of, yep. it's like yep. it's, that when you, I mean, I, I, I remember going away to, to school and, and just being surrounded by uh, things I had never experienced before. And you can, if you really get into that, become completely intoxicated by it. Yep. And, and I think you really explore that well. That's definitely what I wanted to explore. I consider Olivia a bizarro world version of me in the sense that, mind you, of course, I came up in a different time, thankfully, where I only applied to four colleges and didn't have to worry about having a place to go, which is not the case nowadays. I don't right. recommend students apply to any fewer than eight, nine, ten colleges. And even then, it depends on which ones. If you only apply to elites, you've screwed yourself over. You need to have true safeties. Sorry, I go into consultant mode, but that's definitely, you know, <laughs> it was a different time. but. Um, there was a version of me early in high school who was hyper ambitious, really wanted to go to the Ivy League. I come from a lower middle class background. I really wanted to lift myself up and out. I wanted to become a superstar journalist. You know, we, we have our ambitious goals. Just like Olivia. Just like there's some, <laughs> you always put little bits of yourself into your characters. And I could relate to an ambitious student journalist. That was very me. But that's the thing. Like we have like little things in our lives that put us on paths or don't put us on paths. And of course, one of my elements is I did not go to a hyper competitive high school. And also personally, I spent my junior year of high school in Germany. I was high school for an exchange student and it kind of like chilled me out like a lot because <laughs> once you spend a year where you don't speak the language, so you can't feel smart or accomplished because you, you bomb all your, your grades because you're doing it in German and you explore a small town. Like I chilled out and I decided not to go for Ivy's when I got, I just totally changed my life plan essentially over the course of the year. But I was like, what if I'd stayed on the path? Like, who would I be if I were that person? And so it's, it's kind of what you would do for achievement, but it's, it's also how you get there and how, especially nowadays, it's about molding yourself in a very particular way to fit in with that privilege with that world, with that wealth to try to coast along to where you want to go. And that's always going to involve personal sacrifice and, and changing who you are as a person. And that's what I wanted to explore through the book, through this particular character. Like it was never a question for me to write an outsider character because that's who I've always been to this world as well. And that has a lot more potential as well for transformation in either direction. <laughs> you either become a better person through this, this kind of thing or you become worse. And it can go either way. What do you think, though, about this idea of the kind of like Elon Musk thought that like these higher education elite or IVs, non-IVs, they're kind of going to be obsolete in 10, 20, 30 years. What do you think about that? No? It's so hard. I mean, I guess it depends on how the planet goes and how far we descend into chaos. But um I don't know. I think these institutions are going to hold fast, though it does, of course, depend on when the bubble bursts, because uh, we do have a bubble that we're in just from like a cost perspective, just the cost of the schools, the debt people take on. And so that could perhaps impact it. But honestly, I think everyone's always going to chase that prestige. Mm -hmm. Always. I don't think it's going to change in the short term. It's going to it's going to get worse because. As there's crunch in the world, there it feels like there's less of everything. We have a lot more turmoil going on. It feels more important than ever, whether that's accurate or not, to get that 
prestige signal to give you a leg up. I think people are going to be more cutthroat than ever. Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually agree. And I think that you're right. And I oh, just, no, it's going to go worse. It's going to go worse. But I mean, you you just explored so many of the themes that we explore even in, you know, in crime, because what will explore. you do? What what lines will you cross to what lines will you cross? But not only that, if you do come from privilege, that the consequences are markedly different for you than yes. they are for people who don't come from privilege. As so, well as just the entitlement behind the action is yeah. completely different when you come from a more entitled background. Right. And it's there's you an know, ex- I, I, there's an expectation yeah. that yeah, like, yeah. of course I should have this thing. Don't you know who I am? Right. There's an expectation that you deserve to get into certain schools. And, and so if it doesn't necessarily easily go that way. People will go to extremes, including committing federal crimes to get what they want. Absolutely. And I think not to give anything away, but you touch on this in the book and maybe you can touch on it. And, you know, we obviously see this as really a different set of justice as far as consequences when people are caught. You may see the scholarship student expelled or getting in trouble with the police in a certain situation. I mean, in real life and somebody with money transferring to a boarding school in another country. I'm just thinking about real life situations I've seen in Massachusetts in boarding schools. Yep, Taking a gap year to refresh and restart and just picking up where you left off a year later. Scandal behind you because, you know. Your mommy or daddy fueled enough money into your gap year, like you got in a internship at like a famous place. Like that that's not something a normal person can do. If a normal person ends up with a bump in the road, they're gonna go home and like maybe work retail for, for a year and, and like you know, maybe they're they have to then consider CUNY college as their path next pathway or not going to college if something catastrophic happens. I know somebody who got in trouble for drugs at Choate. Now, if that had happened to somebody else, they may have gone to prison and never been able to go to college and been a felon. And this person wound up at college with me at University of Miami. So, well, per- I mean, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and we all know those kids at college, too, who do cocaine and nothing happens. Right. I'm just saying that if somebody else did that, you wind up with a record. But yep. when you have a certain level of privilege, it's swept under the, there's, you know, it's swept away. Well, and, and even just a question that my editor asked me. So, I mean, we know someone dies in this book. So we know that there's a killer. That's not a spoiler. Do they go to jail? Are they convicted? And I said, I don't know. Are they? She didn't. She wanted a very pat answer. She wanted the ending of the book to be like, and then this person saw justice. And I was like, do they though? And that's where I leave it. Because do they? Well, I mean, I, we think, don't know. I think we have to urge our listeners to get the Ivies. And be able to solve the mystery for themselves, I think, and get the book and listen to the book. I listened to it on Audible. You had a wonderful person do your uh, the, the audio narration of it. And it's fabulous. It's great. And it's great for <laughs> great because it's not super gory. It's just like a, a solid mystery. That's what I loved about it. It's not graphic. It's not... Uh, Anyway, and, it, worst, and it's fiction. So no oh, me too. for me. Yeah. <laughs> but you yeah. know what? It's also just so fun. Like I would urge anyone who's traveling, if you're flying somewhere. I mean, this is just the kind of book that you get into and you just kind of forget where you are. And then it's hours later. Yeah. I'm giving this book to my niece, to a few friends for Christmas, because this is just, this is just such a fun 
book and it's really experiential. It's like really good airplane reading. You know what I mean? Like I can totally see going into Logan and like picking this up and being like, oh, okay. That would be a dream. And and then just like (laughs) halfway on the plane when you plan to take a nap, you're like at like page 200. So genuinely. My goal in writing books, especially now that I write thrillers, is that I want to be someone's airplane read or their beach read. Like, because I yes. love those books. This Me, is yeah. such Me a too. beach read. This is such a beach read. It's such a beach read. But I also like, I call it smart airplane reading. Like, that's my, that's a certain genre for me. So, like, that's one of my favorite genres of like smart airplane. Like, I picked this up in the bookstore at the airport yes and i'm loving it that's the best because you're just you're like it's just you and the book on the plane like nobody can bug you and like i love that a good book on an airplane and this book you just really escape into and i i just i really enjoyed it me too me too uh, genuinely loved it i think you just get the reader and the reader it's just great and i'm just excited to give this experience to other people that's why i'm excited to give it away as a gift and i think it's and to talk about it with them and i just the whole thing has just been so much fun so can you tell us what else you're writing or what's next or yeah um so my next ya thriller is called pretty dead queens uh it comes out a long time from now it comes out in fall of 2022 because publishing timelines are strangely long uh but it is a small town secrets thriller about a girl who moves in with her estranged grandmother who is an author of best-selling mystery fiction murder she wrote vibes essentially uh (laughs) moves to (laughs) exactly moves to the area of california where they filmed cabot cove it's not set in maine it is set in california and the homecoming queen is murdered in the same manner as her grandmother's breakout best-selling novel the catch is that book was based on a real murder that took place in this town 52 years ago and the question is is it a psycho fan copycat love letter to her grandmother or was the original killer not caught wow oh Oh, i love it i love it already great premise great premise (laughs) it was fun though juggling two murders 52 years apart was really hard Sounds amazing. Yeah, it sounds great. Absolutely great. Alexa, this has been so great speaking, like talking to you. Really fun. We were really looking forward to this. And and, uh, yeah, this is just great. And we will plug your book. And we, yes, (laughs) urge everybody go get this book, give it away for Christmas. Yeah. Enjoy well, I love it. your podcast. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> You're unfortunately giving me new ideas for how to like kill people and do crime in books. So maybe well, that's a good thing. Well, good. You can as come long back as you, on. Listen, <laughs> as long as you keep it to fiction, we don't care. You just bring that's it. That's the key. <laughs> well, and vice versa. Actually, in the Ivies, you talk about having a true crime podcast a couple of times. So I do. You know, that well, might be. And in the book I'm writing right now, so it'll be out eight million years from now i have a true crime podcast enthusiast character i was oh. like i i need that you do yes <laughs> the, awesome. it's the person who's going to have incredible insight into the things that are happening but is also a huge suspect perfect yes they know perfect. a little too much about murder or do they <laughs> <laughs> what a pleasure alexa thanks a million murder, murder, murder.